0: Oh, it's Christmas! It's official! It's amazing! Uh, it, so, if you're wondering what the whole theme is, the whole theme when you get to Christmas Eve, you'll understand this: it's time, space, and matter. All right. So when you when you see Star Wars in the hallway, it's it's all goes along with it. it all goes. With, and I don't know if you look at some of the things in the hallway, but but there's like you know Darth Vader and Darth Maul with their stockings hung by the chimney with care. There's there's Yoda driving the sleigh. You see any of it? No? You guys need to go look. It's amazing. Actually, going to do some more stuff in the back next week. I'd also like to hit what Don and talk about Christmas for Kids. Uh, today is the day, if you've been waiting to donate to that, to help some of these kids out, today is the day to do it, uh, because they're actually trying to figure out how many kids we can accommodate this year. And, I mean, last, the first year we did, like, six, and last year we did 40. So we're trying to figure out, you know, how many kids we can accommodate in the midst of that, and that will largely be determined by donations that come in for them. Uh, anybody have Christmas lights on your house yet? Anybody not have Christmas lights on your house yet? Anybody planning to put them up, but you're like, I don't know, kind of a lot of work? Yeah, okay, okay, great, great. I got mine up before Thanksgiving. Well, my my wife and I were really busy after Thanksgiving, so we decided, now well, she didn't help put up the lights, I, I made James crawl on the roof, but, you know. <laughs> It's good. It's good. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one. You can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Inside the sermon notes, there's some notes that were written by one of our uh, GC leaders here, and then there's questions that kind of further go along with what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called UVersion. Click and live on the U version. we will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes and verses and the questions, all that goes along with today's message. Why not you stand with me, the reading of God's Word, and we will get started. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for being a God who allows us to be a people who actually get to live in your name. And I ask that we would live in that name in a way that brings great glory to you. Because you have first reached to us and loved us and bought us. And I ask that our lives in turn reflect that great blessing given to us. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so we are so close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If I was Sarah Palin, I'd say I could see it from my house. Whatever, whatever. Uh, We. We spent the last three weeks dealing with heresy and heretics in the early church. And I'm going to kind of recap just a tiny bit of that with the verses. Just in case you feel like I didn't hurt, hit verses 15 to 19 well enough in Matthew chapter 7. So open your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go verses 15 to 23. And we're going to spend this morning and we're going to talk about whether you really know Jesus. Nice. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. And if you really just know about Jesus or you actually know Jesus, uh, I actually was going through the last few weeks of Sermon on the Mount to make sure everything was lining up correctly. Actually, I wrote two extra weeks. I got two extra weeks that I had to take out so we could end it by the end of the year. So you're probably wondering. I thought we were doing four weeks on heretics. We were. We're going to hit this guy named Pelagius today. It was going to be amazing. But I can't because I got you guys to the end of this. But we can do an Element you at some point. If you ever want to come together, we'll talk about heretics. It'll be a lot of fun. Whatever. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Jesus says, Beware us false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Our grapes gather from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And a lot of your Bibles have a break right there. Uh, But I I don't think that break is actually there. So I think Jesus continues, Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I think this is a great place to start where we started with that Third commandment in Nexus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I think it fits very well what Jesus says here. I think it's actually part, maybe even the back of his mind, when he teaches these things. So we're going to kind of trek through this a little bit. If you have a Jewish or a Christian background, almost all of us have heard, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. If you had like a crazy mom, you probably got slapped if you ever did it. Okay, so like a couple of you did. Great, great. But what does it mean? Most of the time people say, Well it means you shouldn't cuss or don't use God's name as a swear word. Well yeah, kind of. I mean you shouldn't use God's name as a swear word. I'll just throw it out there right up front, you you shouldn't do that. But is this what the Bible had in mind? God followed by a damn? Is that is that all that it had in mind? Is there something maybe a little different or even bigger than that? What does it mean to take God's name in vain? I think Jesus gives us the most famous of all examples of what it truly means in Matthew chapter 7, especially verses 21 to 23. It's a group of people who go and they say, Lord, Lord, we're doing all these things in your name. We are living in your name. We have your name. But they didn't really have his name. They didn't have it. Jesus says, you know, it's one thing to say, Lord, it's another thing to take my name in reality. Reality. And when Jesus says, you know, you you must not take the name of the Lord in vain, or when it says that in Exodus, and Jesus kind of reiterates it here, it's the idea of taking the name of the Lord in unreality. And you're probably thinking, what in the world does that even mean? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to take a step back. Don't just think about it as just like God's name. Think about it as anybody's name. Have you ever name-dropped? Like we're gonna we live in a small town, so it's like you can get a lot of places with a lot of things if you know just a few people. Hey, you know, I know so and so. or I know this and that. We kind of name drop. You ever get a job because of someone you know or someone you know knows? I have a friend who works pretty high up in, in Amazon, name dropping, right? And and I got a friend of mine an interview at Amazon because I knew this guy. How about this? One time, um, I was bartending at a Special Olympics event. Yes, I can say that in church. Okay, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's all these people who are helping out do this thing. And so I was, I was bartending at it. And, and I apparently made drinks for Cheryl Crow. I am like chatting her up for like 15 minutes. And then my wife comes over and goes, hey, so what's Cheryl Crow up to? And I go, who? Aww. I didn't even know. She, she's allowed Sheryl Crow. I'm like, who? The girl you were just talking to for 15 minutes. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Sounds less impressive when I explain it, Right. I know. I get it. I get it. But it's natural for us to try and use other people's names. Because when you use someone else's name, that power kind of accrues to you. It kind of lifts you up a little bit. Names open doors. I mean, I can't tell you how many plumbing shops or lumber yards or electrical places are nicer to me when I drop my friend Pete Newman's name. I said, Pete Newman, they're all, oh, I know Pete. What do you need? And they're really nice to me. I mean, how many realtors are nice to me when I drop Michelle Newman or David Long's name? I, don't drop my name anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere, okay? But, but you got to know other people, not, not just me. And, and you know what this is like? You ever live in a family, right? And you got, like, maybe some siblings and, and two kids with them. Like, one runs through a door and slams the door shut and locks. And the other kid's like, open the door! No! Open the door! No! And there's a whole argument that kind of takes place in the middle of it. And then one kid goes, goes. And walks away. And all of a sudden, a few minutes later, he comes back and he goes, Dad says open the door. And what happens? Door opens. Because if you don't, Dad's going to come and open the door, right? <laughs> so the door, the door opens. Name Names open doors. Powerful names accrue power to us. Because names are really important in a lot of societies, there's lots of laws that keeps you from misusing people's names. If you use a name to open a door, it means you do it in reality. You have a relationship with that person. If a child comes and says, Dad says, he's implying something. He's implying that I talked to Dad about the whole door issue that we're going through right now. There's a relationship, and I have a relationship with Dad, and Dad thinks my actions are right. Dad is agreeing with my behavior. I'm doing what Dad has said to do. If you use somebody else's name... You must have a relationship with them. Like, if you went to somebody and tried to impress people, like, at a class reunion, and you were like, oh, I'm Robert Downey Jr.'s agent. And you're like, really? Iron Man? But Maybe that person knows Iron Man, they call Iron Man and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And he's like, who? You have just used that name in vain. You have just used his name in vain. And again, this is why we have copyright laws and slander laws and forgery laws, because people's lives are continually ruined because we use people's names in vain. So when people use a name, they don't back it up with the reality, a unity of mind, a relationship, they're using the name in vain because names open doors. It's a really serious thing to use somebody else's name. I mean, if you are my Iron Man's agent, you've got to continue to live in such a way that you honor him by what you do, because his name is bound up with yours. You've got to do the right contracts and get the right things in the right way. Because unless there's a unity in that relationship, he's probably not going to stay in a relationship with you. So his name is now bound up with yours. that will make sense? Yes, good, around the same page. This is great. Uh, again, I don't really have a powerful name. I, I, I don't, but every once in a while, this kind of, ha- it's happening to me right now, actually. Um, somebody has gone and yelled at somebody else and then said, Aaron agrees with me. I don't agree with them, okay? I don't, but now somebody else is mad at me because somebody said, Aaron agrees with me, even though I don't agree with them, and ah, stop using my name in vain, people. Stop it. Crazy, crazy. Now think about how much more destructive it is not just to use God's name but to use God's name in vain. To use God's name in vain means that we use God's name to open doors, but we don't have the reality to back it up. Think about the Middle Ages and witch burnings and inquisitions and crusades in the name of God. Think about Westboro Baptist Church Day boycotts funerals, hold signs, God hates fags in the name of Jesus. I mean, the third command in Matthew seven fifteen to 23, I think it's the idea about hypocrisy. I think these are some of the most important things in the scriptures because it talks about the thoroughness of the gospel in the midst of our lives. The thoroughness of the gospel and what it means to us. God's name opens doors in the universe no other name could ever open. God's name removes barriers. It puts us in a place that no other name can. It puts us in the center of all things. It makes us an heir of salvation, an heir of eternity, an heir of glory. And if you use it, there should be a relationship to back that up. And so Jesus explains it's possible for people to be Christian in name only, to on the outside look like all of these things, and they're active and diligent and all these things, but Jesus is like, I don't know who they are. And if you call him up, you'd say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And the word no is a term of relationship. And Jesus is like, I, I don't know them. I think he gives one of the most frightening examples, in my opinion, in all of the scriptures. i was like, oh, that, that, that's kind of scary of what it means to take God's name in vain. So we're going to walk through this with me. We're going to talk about this. We did this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to really flesh it out today. Because when Jesus first starts talking about this, these people come and they call him Lord. I and mean, he says, on that day, and that day is like Judgment Day, the, the last day, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. These people, they are orthodox in their beliefs. They say, oh, well, well, he's Lord. In the Old Testament, they would use this generic name for God called Elohim. And then when God comes and says, I'm going to establish a relationship with my people, God gives himself a name. And this name is the name we translate today as Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, that's unlike the Hebrew Scriptures. When the Greek-speaking Jews wanted to translate the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek, what they did is they translated, every time you see the word Yahweh, they translated it as the word Kyrios, which means Lord. And so these people are coming and they're calling Jesus Lord. They're calling him, in a sense, God. In their doctrine, they kind of have it all together, but there's no spiritual reality behind it. It's kind of like the church reformer, Martin Luther. For many years, before he ever became a Christian, he taught in seminary. He knew the Bible really well. He prayed all the time. He knew theology. He had a lot of a doctrine straight, but there was no spiritual reality. These people are kind of orthodox, but the G doesn't know them. Second thing is they have emotional engagement because so they don't just say Lord; they're like Lord, Lord. That's what they're calling him. Now, in our language, when we want to make things like really important or loud, we use like exclamation points in our writing, or, or we emphasize with underlining, or, or all italics, or something like that, or, or, or all caps. Like, like, if I if I wrote this to you an email, okay, I said, Ah, ah. Uh. What are you doing, right? You'd be like, oh, what you? oh I'm just hanging out reading my email, da, 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 But if I wrote this, what does that mean? What are you doing? What did you do? Did you use my name and name? What? What? That's And like, ah, all caps, exclamations point. I heard you were going to be the one who was going to pick up the stuff from the store. I heard that you were the one who's going to put up the Christmas lights. That's what we do. That, that, that's, that's how we do it. Now, in Hebrew, though, the way they got that intensity of emotion across was it in the doubling of a name. When David's mourning over grief for his son Absalom, uh, he doesn't just say, my son Absalom. 2 Samuel 18.33 says, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. It is intensity of emotion. When Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha in the New Testament and, and Martha's like running around doing all this stuff and in 1041, he says, Martha, Martha. It's like, hey, I love you. Let me get your attention. You're running after all these things and you only need one thing that's important. Let's look at that one thing. It's intensity of emotion. These people come to Jesus and they don't just call him Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. They're excited about Jesus. They got emotional engagement. And it just, it just gets worse because third thing is they're very active in Christian activities. This is one of the most startling things you ever read in the Bible, this phrase. They they say, Lord, Lord, we're prophesying in your name. They actually go out. They are preaching the word. They're very active. And Jesus says, you don't have a relationship with me. Because apparently it's possible to be orthodox in doctrine, have emotional engagement, be extremely busy in Christian activities, helping people in a lot of places, but no spiritual reality to back it up. Now, am I saying that doctrinal orthodoxy and emotional engagement and lots of ministry is unimportant? Not at all. I think any person who really does live for Jesus is going to have those things in your life. But I'm not saying that just having those things means that. So what does it mean to take God's name in reality? How do you have this spiritual authenticity? What is that authenticity? What does it consist of? And Jesus tells us in the text what people are really lacking in this thing. And it goes back to the original illustration about the two kids on the side of the door banging and yelling at each other. And one is an intimate relationship with the Father, And it is submission to the will of the one whose name you're using. Timothy Keller says this. He goes, Jesus' name is Savior and Lord. And to receive Jesus and take on his name means to take in reality who he says he is. So who is he? Jesus is Savior and he's Lord. Both. Both. And the thing is, anybody who is truly taking the name of Jesus recognizes him as Lord and Master of our lives. Jesus says it's one thing to call me Lord, but it's another thing to have a personal relationship with me, to actually live and walk in relationship with me. And Jesus is now getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's wrapping all these things up that we've talked about for the entire year, and he's coming on really strong because he wants people to get it. He is Savior and he is Lord. Timothy Keller says two marks of spiritual reality are submission of your will to his and a grasp of the grace of God. So you can have Christian Orthodox theology, emotional engagement, tons of Christian ministry, helping people, doing good for people, and all that, and still not submit your will to Jesus, to the grace of God and the gospel. So I'm going to look at these two things. Number one, submission of your will to his. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and do not what I tell you? Why? Why do you, wh- why do you call me Lord and not actually follow me? I mean, Jesus calls Christianity a kingdom. When you take the name of a king you're working in the name of a king, it means you're submitting to A king. You know, a lot of people today are are really busy doing a lot of things like Matthew chapter 7. And maybe in your life you haven't done a whole lot of miracles. maybe you're volunteering in a lot of places and doing a whole lot of things. Some people do that to try and maybe get the monkey of God off of their back. Oh, I don't want to feel like guilt or something. I'll just do, do all these things. Jesus isn't fooled by all of the good things that we do. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by the grace of God. But when we follow Jesus, certain things begin to take place in our lives because he becomes our king. We give up the right to determine what is right and wrong for us. We submit to the will of the king. That's what it means to take on the name of a king. And a lot of people in our day, we hate this idea. Man, do we hate this idea. We don't want to give up our independence. I mean, we are 4th of July, independence, fireworks. Boom, 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 boom. Look how independent we are. I blow things up. I mean, that, that that's, that's America. We don't want to say, I don't get to decide what's right and wrong for me. You know, I have to follow what the word of God says. People hate that. But if you're not willing to do that, you are taking the name of God in vain. He is a king. He is a king. 20 years ago, Ted Koppel, he's a major news anchor. A lot of you probably don't even know who he is, but he's a major uh, news anchor. He gives a commitment speech at Duke University. Now, see if you can imagine... Any news anchor today saying these words. This is what he says. He says, We say, shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex whenever and with whomever you wish, but wear a condom. No, the answer is no. Not no because it isn't cool or smart or because you might end up in jail or dying in an AIDS ward, but no because it's wrong. In its purest form, truth is not a polite, polite tap on the shoulder. It's a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai was not the ten suggestions. They are commandments. And so what's, what's he kind of saying? You don't follow Jesus because he's exciting or relevant, though I believe he is very exciting. I believe he is very relevant. You don't follow Jesus because, oh, he's meeting my needs, though I believe he does meet all of our needs. We do it because he exists and he's our king. We owe him everything. That's the reason. I mean, a lot of people today say, you know, I believe religion should be very engaging and socially redemptive. I think that too. It should be engaging and it should be socially redemptive. But then they say, but you got to look in your own heart to decide whether it's really right or wrong for you. That's a myth. it's a powerful myth. And a lot of Christians live in that myth. I mean, Jesus says, if you're not willing to shed that myth, you're taking my name in vain. I'm not going to be fooled just by good deeds. Well, he's not fooled by anything, obviously, but he's not fooled by good deeds. New York Times a couple years ago ran this ad from the National Education Association. This is what it said. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. taught us to be guided by faith in America's people and their social conscience. He taught us the highest principles of justice are not found outside, but within ourselves. That's not what Martin Luther King Jr. taught. That is not what he taught. Anybody who's really gotten any inspiration from the scriptures, I I would hope nobody would teach that. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. said. 1963, letters from a Birmingham jail. He says, A just law is a man-made code that scores with the moral law or the law of God. To put it in terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law. He doesn't say, look inside yourself. He says, the only way you know whether laws are right or wrong or behavior is just or unjust, you look at the scriptures. It's the only way. And today our culture is taking people like Martin Luther King Jr. and turn them into the same relativists they are. That's what we've done. And when you do that, nobody becomes a hero. No one dies because, oh, it just feels right to me. Nobody does that. You die for a principle that's right under any circumstances. I mean, when you take the name of the Lord in vain, it, it means that you're not living the name that you say that you have. You're not willing to say, I give my independence. You know, people who follow Jesus, they say, you know, show me what your will is and I'll do it. I don't care how I feel. I don't, I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what popular pen it is. I don't, I don't care what the experts say. That's living under the kingship of who Jesus is. And you've got to understand, in this kingship, the, way we, the reason we live that way is because... Of grace. Because the second thing is the grace, the grace of God. We've got to understand the grace of God. He says, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, and everyone who uses my name went to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. A Christian is somebody who actually lives under and obeys because we know God is our Father. And there's two ways that people obey. Okay? The first way is you obey so that you'll be accepted and loved. Like, oh, I've got to do all these things. If I do all these things, well, then I'm accepted and loved. So that, that's why i got to do it. Or you obey because you've already been accepted and loved. Those are the two ways to do it. And your whole life's gonna rest on your understanding of that. You can either obey the will of God, like the moral law that Martin Luther King Jr. is talking about, so you'll be accepted, or because you've already been accepted and loved. John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive and believe, these are interchangeable terms. It's that you have the authority to live and be children of God. How does a child get adopted into a family? Is it by works? Is it by efforts? Is it by trying really hard? Or is it simply by grace and love of the family who is doing the adopting? You put your name on a child. It means the child is now accepted and inclusively loved into your family. Not because the infant proved how good they were going to be or what all the things were going to do in their lives, but simply you adopt out of love. And that's what God has done for his people. He's adopted us out of love. I mean, how do we take upon the name of Jesus as our Savior? We renounce being our own Savior and realize He is our King as an act of grace that He has first done for us. I mean, Timothy Keller, I I was reading a bunch of Keller when I wrote this message. I can totally tell. This is what he says. When you say, Lord, my intellectual faith, my intellectual doctrine is incomplete. My emotional love for you is cold. My best deeds of service are tainted with selfishness. But I ask because of what Jesus did for me. I ask because he died my death. He lived the life I should have lived because he did these things for me. Oh, Lord, God, welcome me and accept me because of what he did, not because of anything I've ever done. Now, the minute I do that, oh, Lord, God, all the value of his life and record will accrue to me. I mean, I love Keller, but have you ever thought of you? do you ever pray like that at all? God, I know my you know, intellectual doctrine is incomplete. I know that my love for you a lot of times is cold. It is so cold. I even know that sometimes my deeds of service are all about me and making my own self feel better. I get all that. Thank you for loving me anyway. Thank you for redeeming me anyway. Thank you for coming and blessing me first, for loving me first. So you can teach me how to love and live. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. I mean, that is what we are. You know, it, a lot of people are probably thinking, okay, I get it. Hypocrisy, you know, da-da-da. But, but we, all of times we think hypocrites are people who are just, like, really, really evil. Like, you know, they come to church, they get baptized, and they start dealing drugs, or they're cheating on their spouse, or, I, I don't know, taking out like, hit contracts on your business partners. I don't know. I, could be. Don't. Okay, But... <laughs> I mean, maybe some people in the room are like that. Stop it, okay? But you know, maybe that's, what, that's not even what I'm really talking about. There are all kinds of ways that we dishonor the name of our King. If you say I'm a Christian, like you claim to be a believer, okay? You say I, I'm a Christian. That means people know that you claim to be a Christian. You're claiming this thing. That means that God's honor is now bound up with you. It's why all throughout history people will be like, oh yeah, the you know look at the church and they're all mad at God because of what his people. Did. God's name is bound up with ours. So we've got to look at ourselves and not just look at like the big things. Look at the little things, too. I mean, if you get your feelings hurt easily, if you're always touchy, if someone doesn't fall all over you and you're mad about it, if you're always feeling sorry for yourself, again, if everybody knows that you claim to be a Christian, you're dishonoring the name of the one you bear because they are saying that's what Jesus must be like. I mean, if you condemn people around you, if you're cold and distant, if everybody feels judged around you, or you're ex- the exact opposite, you let everybody get away with everything, like, oh, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. They just, like, killed your grandma and run over your dog. I mean, it's okay. It's, I, I mean, you know, and you're just totally on the other side. You're all goopy. You may never follow through on your promises. But you claim to be a Christian. God's name is bound up with your name. One writer says it like this. The honor of Jesus Christ is leaking out through our little sins like little holes in the bottom of a bucket. I mean, it's just what it is. We've got to look at ourselves and realize it's not just us who are being judged. It's not just us. G.K. Chesterton says the only good argument against Christianity is Christians. And he's right. He is so right. The Bible constantly says that, that even when we are regenerated, we still are people who struggle in our flesh. We're still self-addicted. We're self-centered. This is why we go to the king, because the king is what we need. We realize we are imperfect. We don't have it all together. And when Jesus winds down his Sermon on the Mount, this is where he comes to. This place where he helps us to begin to understand what it really means. God has first blessed you. I mean, that's, that's the first thing he starts. We, we spent three and a half months just talking about God's blessing at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So he would, so we would understand what a people are supposed to live like in blessing. And now he winds it down at the end with the, with the capstone on the back, and he says, so if you're going to live for me, live for me, know me, be in relationship with me, and Matthew 25, 23 says, on that day he's going to say, Enter into the joy of your master. This is the understanding that we are not saved by our works. I mean, it is the grace of God, God calling and drawing us. But it's still important how we live when we claim his name. It's still important. Because Jesus calls us his ambassadors in the world. And a lot of the way that the world is going to see him is by how you and I live our lives, and again, you're not saved by your works. But we should all be better. We really should, we really should, because we are under the reign of a king. I mean, Jesus is not like Robert Downey Jr. Like if you screw up, he's like, "You're not my agent anymore." You know, God's still like, "You're my ambassador." You fell, you fell. Your sins were paid for at the cross. Get up. Let's go. Let's go. I know your past did that, but your future is not your past. You are redeemed. We're going to continue to redeem your past and redeem your future. And God constantly moves and pulls us. But we need to be a people who also in turn live for his name in a way that honors him. This is one of the reasons we do communion every week here. Because it's a place where we remember what Jesus did for us. I mean, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we have you break that cracker like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. And it helps us reset because we need to live in the idea and understanding of what he has done. And not just what he has done, but what he continues to do and what he will do through all eternity. Continue to redeem his broken people. I mean, in one sense, you know, the scriptures teach that that you are made perfect in God's eyes through the blood of Christ. But every day God is making us more and more and more holy. It's a word called sanctification. It's a big word. I think it means like salvation in present time. God's making us more and more and more and more holy. But that's the idea. We live more and more for His name, and I think Jesus gets really heavy at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we need to take that heaviness to heart and begin to ask ourselves those questions: How am I representing the King who has so loved and honored and saved me? The band's going to come up, and as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. As I said, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, maybe uh, you're in a spot today where you know you claim the name of Jesus. Uh, you you have a relationship with him, but you're not really showing that in how you live your life. And you want things to change. You want to be a little better. Well, a couple things. They'd love to pray with you, but we'd love to connect you into one of the gospel communities that we have around here. Because I will tell you, God saves us individually, but he never meant, means for us to live individually. We're meant to live corporately, together. And that means when you're struggling, you have people around you who can help you, who come alongside you. I mean... Two knuckleheads probably do better than one on their own. So, you know, welcome to the church. <laughs> We're knuckleheads. <laughs> you know, it's that idea. Uh, there's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us giving as part of our worship. We don't pass a plate, it's a response to what He's done. But we do put food in the back to hope we connect you guys a little bit better. Uh, if, if you are new and you do want to connect a bit, you can check out the Welcome Center, sign up for Gospel Community. Someone will be in touch this week. Um, you know, maybe you can meet somebody else in the back and go out for lunch today or dinner this week and maybe go through some of the questions and what it means to go a little bit deeper in that. To be a people who honor His name. I, I think it's really amazing uh, that God allows us to partner with Him in so many of these things. It's like, you know, Christian and Courtney when they're, you know, uh, when we're doing Braylon and her dedication. It's, it's amazing to me that God shares the name Father with His men. It's amazing to me that God shares the word ambassador with his people, that we represent who he is. Let's be good ambassadors. You know, not not because our salvation rests upon it because God has called us, but because, because he is our King and we love and worship our King. Let's pray. Father, this morning I asked that you would teach us as a people how to live in ways that honor you first and foremost in our lives. That we would take the heaviness of the gospel, but it's not a load that we can't bear. Because in one sense, it's light. Because all of our sins and burdens have been taken away. And what you lay upon us now is your name. And the weight of that name is the glory of the one and only Son who came to live and die and rise again for us. Not because we are so good, but because you are. Teach us what it means to truly live in the reality of your name. To truly honor you by our actions and by our lives. And how we interact with others and how we interact with you brings you great honor. And the songs that we would sing on a Sunday morning wouldn't just be songs that stay in this room. But they'd be things that infect our hearts. So that we live day by day by day in your name. The reality of your name. We ask this in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.